just being a human, going out there and actually meeting people or getting face-to-face, I think, really goes a long way in today's digital age. We've had a number of confrontational phone calls, and then kind of the guard comes down and we're all human at the end of the day. Before we get into today's episode, I want to offer you a free service and a free gift. Yes, a free gift. You're a loyal best ever listener. You deserve free gifts. And it's from our best ever partner, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. So are you a landlord or investor who's self-managing? Well, if you're self-managing, is that the best way to scale your business? And are you fulfilled by self-managing or would you rather be doing other stuff with your time? Like, I don't know, scaling your business, scaling your portfolio, making more money, bringing more rentals, rental income coming in because you're acquiring more properties. If you want to scale, if you're not getting fulfilled by self-managing, then here comes a free service. Here comes a free gift. Linda Libatory, you know her, episode 714 I interviewed her about her best ever advice, talked to her about her company, which is the solution to your problem, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. They handle the phone calls, they handle the rent collections, they handle late payment reminders, they handle the lease violation notices, everything from the text messages, reminders, all the way to collecting the ACH payments. Linda's team will help you scale your business, whether you got 500 units or even a handful of units, go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. They're going to give you a free 30-minute goal strategy session. They'll give you free setup and the first 30 days free, mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Again, if you are self-managing and you're not fulfilled, by self-managing and you agree that there's a better way to scale your business, scale your investments, then go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Take Linda and her team up on their generous offer of giving you a trial and a strategy session to see if it's right for you. mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluff with us today. Matt Lasky. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? I'm doing great as well, and nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Matt. He is a managing partner at Equity Velocity Funds, which is a boutique real estate private equity fund. He's responsible for sourcing, structuring, and deal analysis, and his company is based in Columbus, Ohio. You can say hi to him at his company's website, which is in the show notes link. So let's get into this, my friend. Matt, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. We're a private equity fund that's spun out of a deal sponsor who is celebrating their 30th year in existence this year. And the whole time, we've pretty much stuck to healthcare and retail investing have been our core competencies and kind of a smaller and middle market. So most of our projects are between five and 50 million. We're not duking it out with a lot of the bigger institutions and core markets most of the time. And 30 years ago, when our founder kind of laid the vision, healthcare and retail were highly disparate activities. And as you see, or as you'll probably hear when we speak, healthcare and retail are merging. We're seeing a lot of healthcare uses in retail spaces, and that's part of our philosophy. So I don't know if it was fortuitous, good luck, or both, but now those two sections have a lot of overlap, and that just happens to be what we know. 
So let's talk macro level, and this is for just to give some big picture perspective on the type of dollars you're dealing with and the type of stuff that you all invest in in your overall business model. So will you give us an example of maybe the last fund that you did? What type of specific things did you buy within it? And what is your role in that process? Sure. So we bought about seven or eight assets. We were the whole owner of six of them. And then in the other two, one, we went and bought about a $30 million deal with another equity partner. And then also partnered with some physicians on a medical office development. So our funds value add and opportunistic. Our goal is mid-teens net returns to our investors. And we want to write a minimum million dollar check. So our first fund's asset value was just shy of $100 million. And we deployed it in just over a year. So we wanted to raise the funds and invest them in the same environment that we were kind of raising them in, maybe a little different than the bigger institutional funds who have a one to two year capital rates period and then one to three year investment period. And we just maybe took a different philosophy there and we were able to do so just given the project size we typically pursue. And from a macro level, that was pretty much split 50-50 between retail and healthcare assets with one kind of repositioning and one ground up development, then the rest were value add acquisitions. Repositioning, ground up and value add. So most value add, one repositioning and one ground up. What's the difference between value add and repositioning? Well, this repositioning was kind of a unique situation. We had a tenant through kind of our sponsor that I mentioned we spun out of and corresponding brokerage arm. So the tenant needed space and we ended up buying a bank-owned, completely vacant building, but had already structured a lease deal with them in tow. And so it became a construction project and kind of a retrofit of some second-gen medical office to put the practice in. What is your role in this process? I'm responsible for deal identification, helping lead our underwriting team, and then post-close, implementing the business plan or doing some of the high-level asset management. We believe strongly that the people making the assumptions on deals should live with them. So we kind of have a, our acquisitions team is the same as the asset management team. So we kind of see project life cycle from inception to disposition, which involves the acquisition assumptions and underwriting, helping with the debt structuring, and then closing on the asset and then post-close monitoring performance and helping. Usually we have some sort of problem to fix being a value-add player. So whether that's deferred maintenance, vacancy, or all the above, we're helping oversee the corrections of those issues and then ultimately the decision. Have you exited out of all these deals? No. Our first investment was made October of 2014. And so we're just starting the exit on some of our deals. Okay. Have you exited out of any? Yeah. Our first one, we kind of bought a portfolio and are exiting in stages. So that was a retail deal where we sold it in parts. And that final part is actually, we should be getting a purchase contract for the final part today. So we've exited out of two and assuming we exit the third where we think, and we've had multiple offers in the same area. We're looking at 
a two and a half or three X equity multiple at the project level over call it just shy of three years. And for someone who's not in your world of equity multiple formulas or metrics, what is an equity multiple? So that's basically saying it for every dollar you gave us with that two and a half to three equity multiple that you'd be getting two and a half or three dollars back over the course of the investment. And does that include your original investment dollars back? Yes, it does. So let's talk about that one that you're starting to exit in pieces. Can you tell us how much you bought the portfolio for? What exactly is it? And then just give us some numbers on these exits that you're taking chunks from to exit out of. Sure. We bought the portfolio, which was a couple single tenant buildings and a strip center that was about 60% occupied for $3.5 million. It was our opinion that the strip center just needed some more hands-on ownership. It was in a market where the average occupancy was well into the 90s with rents a lot higher than this center. It's in Pickerington, Ohio, which is a uh, southeastern suburb of Columbus. Okay. This is a little off the beaten path of Maine and Maine, and it's going to be more of your local tenant mix. But we just thought an owner who had some TI dollars and being well capitalized to capture some of the tenants that were in the market could do so. So over the course of two and a half years, we're now at a true 100% occupancy. Uh, We have no vacancy. And and we had good timing. So we bought in late 2014. And as a lot of your listeners probably know, and other people have talked about, cap rates have continued to compress, or I guess otherwise that building values have gone up. And so we both bought it right on one of the single tenant deals. The tenant was expired in a couple of years and we kicked them out in an extension to over 10 years, which creates a lot of value in the single tenant net lease marketplace, allowing us to kind of get a premium. So original going in price, like I said, was around three and a half million. We had a renovation budget of a few hundred K and now we're selling it piecemeal, I guess, for reference, the strip center, it exceeds our overall project budget, plus the two single tenant deals that we exited. That's outstanding. So so you're basically selling the strip center for the price that you paid, plus renovation costs for the entire portfolio. Correct. Or flipping that on its head, the way we were looking at it is we could sell the single tenant pieces and get all of our equity out and own the strip center with no money into it. So kind of the inverse of what you just said, but either way to look at it, we just thought this, the single tenant stuff would be easier to sell going into it. Adding value in retail is always a little bit of a question mark. We think we can do it, but we're never positive that month six, do we get leases done? Month 12, 18, 24, whatever. But we knew what we had in the single tenant stuff. So we kind of took the mirror image of the approach you mentioned, but it's just similar ways of looking at it. We just thought each part was greater than the sum of the whole. And if we could add value, we'd be in a good spot. Here's a stupid question. When you sell, say, the two single tenant buildings and you're able to now own the strip center with no money into it, is that owned by you and your company or is that owned by the fund so you your company plus your investors will own that 
it's a complicated question. Technically, it's owned by the investors and the sponsor in the same partnership agreement as the whole portfolio, if that makes sense. And this project was a little tricky because of the way we collateralized the debt on the front end. We knew we might do this, so we had to pre-negotiate release amounts to free up equity as we sold off part of the portfolio. I want to talk more about that 60% occupancy and now it's 100% because I'd like to get into specifics. And I love the philosophy that your team has. The team that acquires the property is the same team that is managing the asset. So you have to see through the vision that you had painted at the beginning. And a lot of the best ever listeners who have a smaller company, they're like, well, no, duh, you have to acquire it, then you oversee it. But larger companies, they might have an acquisitions department and then separately an asset management department. So let's talk about this 60% occupancy and now it's 100%. How many storefronts did you have to get occupancy for and how did you go about it? That's a great question. So the total size of the center is about just over 25,000 square feet. The bays or the storefronts were 1,400. So I'm not sure what that math works out to be, but we needed a handful. And I uh, fortunate enough to have some great leasing guys. And so we kind of took a top-down approach of who were the biggest users. So we had some blocks of space where we could combine contiguous space to reach 4,200, which was three of the bays in a couple situations. So we tried to identify as a team users who are in these type of centers, which this was a Kroger anchored center. And for the best ever listeners out there, Kroger is a market leading grocer in the Midwest. Headquartered in Cincinnati, we're up in Columbus area. So they're kind of the 800 pound gorilla of grocers here, which is what attracted us to this project. So we're like, in what other places are there centers like this that are Kroger anchored kind of off main and main and what does their tenant mix look like? And mm. so we database and did research on a number of those. And then we went after categories who we thought would take multiple bays and the results were pretty interesting. The two big tenants we got were one, the public library of Pickerington did a branch office in our building, which was great. And we're right across from the public high school. So we think that plays really, really well being across from the high school and being a library. And believe it or not, that is a little bit of an atypical use in retail, but it's not the first time that's been done in Columbus. There was a center that I described in that process earlier of how we were looking at other tenants in a town called Worthington, Worthington Public Library is in a Kroger center that's not on Main and Main. So that wasn't that original of the idea, maybe a little out of the box, but when we saw it, we were like, hey, we should really talk to these guys. And it ended up working out. And then we got a karate studio as well. And as a landlord who's experienced in healthcare and retail, I guess one of our big philosophies is kind of coin the internal term Amazon test, which is we put in tenants who can't outsource them to online. So you can't do karate online yet or go to the library actually online. I mean, you can buy books and whatnot, but it's not exactly the same experience, especially with the school across the street. So we're trying to be cognizant of that as we look at tenant mix and who might be the best long-term prospects for centers. 
That's fascinating. I was going to call you out when you said the Amazon test because you said the public library. I was like, come on. (laughs) That's how Amazon was founded by selling books. But I get it because the school is across the street. So kiddos go over to the library. Any special deal negotiation parameters that you had to be aware of negotiating with a public library point person versus someone in the private sector? They were inexperienced just because this was the first real estate deal they had done since their main campus. You know, they're not in the business of real estate. They're in the business of being in public service. So we're really collaborative. We have to get a little creative on how they win and what their structure looked like, which involved a couple levels of board of trustees and approval for people who weren't going to be involved in the day-to-day, but just oversee decisions and They were great because they were very, very collaborative and they really did make the process smooth and easy. We try to be open book when we can. I mean, we want a true win-win for everyone. And so it was kind of through that collaboration and them saying, hey, these are our sticking points. And as a landlord, you always want the highest rent possible with the least amount of concessions. But ultimately, in there, there was something that worked for both groups. So we gave a little flexibility. And a lot of it was just, we ended up giving them half rent for one of the suites because optically that looked like a big win for them based on their internal politics. And it allowed the people who wanted to operate there and the directors of the library to get board approval. And as far as the single tenant buildings, you said you extended it from one to 10 years, which helps with the value of your property because it shows a long-term commitment, just like if they're apartment buildings, month-to-month versus a one-year lease, same thing. Why weren't they already on 10 years, and how did you come up with a solution for them to want to do 10 years versus what they were already doing? They had built their building on a ground lease, and it was just their base term was running out. So they built the building in 04 or 05, And the term was running out when we acquired the building. And so we, as part of our due diligence process on all our acquisitions, we interview all the tenants. And if it's a local tenant, we try to talk to ownership. If it's a more regionalized or national tenant, at least the manager and a lot of times the real estate person. And it's a collaborative situation where we just want to understand how the space works for them and what their needs are. And if we can budget in capital expenditures to make the property better to meet their needs and ultimately help their business, that's the type of landlord we want to be. So it was through that process that we met with the owner of the single tenant concept and he had built it. We were on this edge of town where it is the growth edge of Pickerington and this center came out of the ground about a year or two before 08 happened and then all the housing starts that were supposed to happen stopped, but they've since picked back up and there's a ton of new houses out that way relative to what else is going on in Columbus. So he knew that the houses were coming back. It was a really well-experienced restaurant operator and he just said it's a little slower than usual. So we ended up negotiating on his rent increase from when his lease would expire, if he was to renew his option for five years, his rent would have increased higher. And we kind of met him in the middle and said, hey, let's not increase your rent as much, but 
let's extend you for 10 years. We're more in it for the long term and the surety of income and near term rent increase. And ultimately, he had a lower occupancy cost and wanted to be there long term. So we were able to come to an agreement. I could ask you questions about this for probably 60 more minutes. I find this so fascinating because you're playing at a higher level. And I love learning about how funds operate from a professional standpoint and how you methodically approach things. But we got to keep rolling. So what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I think my best advice is really understand and be collaborative with whomever you're dealing with. And a lot of our investment philosophy comes from our backgrounds. Everyone on our funds team was a broker or an advisory role at one standpoint. So we've been on each side of a transaction. I think that really helps us kind of pick apart and understand everyone's motives. So just being a human, going out there and actually meeting people or getting face-to-face, I think really goes a long way in today's digital age. We've had a number of confrontational phone calls and then kind of the guard comes down and we're all human at Mm. the end of the day and things get advanced. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Are you an investor who self-manages, talks to your residents, collects checks, and handles all the day-to-day tasks? Well, there's a better way, best ever listener, and guess what? That better way is Secure Pay One. Secure Pay One, the landlord helper, will have conversations over the phone with your residents whenever there's an issue, and the residents can pay you directly. So schedule your free trial and 30-minute session today at mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at com forward slash show. That's D-W-E- com forward slash show. Best ever book you've read? Probably the most important thing by Howard Marks. It's chock full of kind of high level investment philosophy that really makes you reflect. Best ever deal you've done? Probably the one we just talked about. It went phenomenally well. If we could always do that type of returns in a couple of years, we'd be in a great place. What's a deal that hasn't gone well? Probably our nicest retail asset that actually passed the Amazon test. We're working through and have a lot of leasing momentum, but we bought it and a year in had two bankruptcies for tenants who had 50 and 250 locations respectively and had been around for over 60 years each. It was fortunate enough to be in a good market and we've got a lot of leasing momentum, but it caught us off guard because all the managers through our diligence process told us that the locations there were performing well, but then they had kind of whole company failures independent of the locations. Best ever way you like to give back? I am a mentor at my college's business school, which is Miami of Ohio. So there's a young professional committee that I'm on and I have a few student mentees. So really trying to help today's youth. And I end up slanting all conversations back to real estate, but I'm trying to recruit some bright young minds and help them as they transition from student to 
professional. And how can the best ever listeners learn more about your company or get in touch with you? My email is Emma's and Matt Lasky, L-A-S-K-Y, at equity.net. And our website is evfunds, F-U-N-D-S, dot net. But I will disclose that this morning we found out we actually have had our website hacked. So we've got some random <laughs> links on there right now, uh, which is really fortuitous timing for this call. <laughs> well, this call will air probably after you get those resolved. So I suspect it will be okay to go check out your website. But just in case, you can just email Matt at the email address that he mentioned. Well, Matt, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for talking about the fund that you all are in the middle of, the acquisition approach, the well, really the asset management approach is what we focused in on with the strip center and the single tenant buildings, how you approached identifying the best tenants to fill in the strip center based on what's worked in the past with others. You brought in the public library, you brought in the karate studio, you do the Amazon test, and then the extension of the lease from one to 10 years to add the value, how you're able to exit out of it. And man, isn't that just beautiful when you can exit out of something and still own pieces of the deal with no money into it. That's a real estate investor's dream. So thanks for being on the show. Really enjoyed this conversation. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. You and the best ever listeners as well. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellyn.com forward slash show. That's dot com forward slash show.